Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Floor Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusick, and this week my guest is GolfWeek.com's Adam Woodard. And on the podcast you're about to hear, Adam and I talk about this week's Mayakoba Golf Classic. And then we also discuss some of the biggest golf storylines of 2020. And that includes the distance debate and how Bryson DeChambeau is really affecting the narrative with regard to distance in golf. We also talk about how Phil Mickelson may have found his calling as a resident pro in The Match. Then we talk about how 2021 might be a really pivotal year for players like John Rahm, Ricky Fowler, and Jordan Spieth. And finally, we also talk about how players and media members alike are getting used to no fans being at professional golf events. So grab an Arnold Palmer, get comfortable, here we go. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Steven Ruiz and Chris Corman. I know people are like just assuming that this is an upgrade at the quarterback position, but I don't think we could say that for a fact. I'd say it's, it's a downgrade. He never really had game-to-game impact just coming off the edge and destroying people that we thought when we saw his athleticism in college and at the combine. And- the Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Listen and subscribe to The Counter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And now making his triumphant post-tryptophan from the Turkey return to the Forward Press Podcast, I'd like to welcome my colleague Adam Woodard. Adam, how you doing? I'm doing good, DD. How are you, bud? Not too bad, thanks. How's your Thanksgiving? It was good. Pretty uh, pretty, pretty relaxing. We stayed here in D.C. for the actual Thanksgiving holiday part of it, and then a uh, quick little road trip up to uh, your neck of the woods after quarantining and doing everything safely to be a part of a uh, very small wedding ceremony. So it's kind of cool to see that amongst uh, all the kind of negatives that have happened here in 2020, but to be able to celebrate that up in New England uh, was kind of nice. So everyone was safe. Uh, all, all protocols were followed. Testing was done. Um, everyone's feeling great and fine. So I think we, uh, we got through it pretty good, but a pretty solid holiday on my end. How about you? Sounds good. Yeah, no, it was good over here. I enjoyed getting your texts as you whip through Connecticut. Yes, we do observe a reasonable speed limit here, although I'm sure you you just you know went through that without even thinking about it. Um, it was good. It was just the the four of us here at the house. Uh, normally, we get together with my dad in upstate New York. We didn't do that this year for obvious reasons and kept yeah. it uh, sort of quiet. The weather was not great, um, but got some things done. So looking forward to the holiday season, the rest of it, and looking forward to what is now going to be the last PGA Tour event of 2020. We're moving on to Mayakoba. Um, Mm -hmm. This tournament sort of falls. It's somewhat of a weird time now. I mean, it's one of those things where um, I think that it's going to be difficult for the guys who are in the field at the Mayakoba Golf Classic potentially to be motivated, but there's reason for some people to be motivated. I, I know that... It's 
it's the end of the year. It's the last tournament. You want to play well. You want to finish on a good note. But at the same time, it's been a long, strange trip, as they used to sing. And I wonder how much the guys are going to be able to muster up after a, a break to be able to put it out there. What what are you sort of looking ahead towards, and what are your thoughts about Mayakoba this week? Looking at the field list, it's kind of surprising to see some of the people who are actually going to be in it this year. This would be normally a lot of time that guys would start sort of take off and sort of get an early start on the, the holiday celebrations. But you see guys like, you know, Justin Thomas, Harris English has been playing great, Daniel Berger, Tony Finau, Abe Anser, Brooks Kefka, you know, all the way down that list. And the sixth person you name just shows how good and informed some of the guys in the field are going to be. It's going to be a fun tournament, I think. Like you said, a lot of guys are playing for a lot of different reasons, whether it's they're trying to play their way into um, the FedEx Cup points. They're trying to get some more end-of-the-year points, whether it's guys who are just simply trying to stay informed because they couldn't play a lot this year. You have a lot of guys playing for a lot of different things. And over the last couple of years, we've seen some you know, some bigger names be in the mix. Obviously, this was Brendan Todd's second win that he had in about a month last year. Uh, Matt Kuchar won in 2018. Uh Ricky Fowler was a runner-up, I believe, in 2017 and Woodland in 16, I think. So you've seen some big names compete well here. So I think if golf fans are looking for some uh, for some December golf to watch, this week's going to be the week to do it, I think. Yeah, and this is one of those funny things where you sort of get, get into the weeds a little bit. And obviously everybody, as you sort of said, you know, wants to play well. It can be a springboard into your 21 if you have a good performance here. Um, it's also being the last tournament on the PGA Tour calendar in 2020 gives guys a last chance to get world ranking points. And one of the things mm-hmm. that will get you into the Masters is if at the end of calendar year 2020, um, I know we obviously just came off of a Masters, if you were ranked in the world top 50, once uh, the calendar flips into 2021, then you earn your golden ticket. And for some guys who are on the outside right now looking in, that's that's meaningful you know, stuff that, that opens up quite a few things. So they, they're going to be looking to try and get whatever world ranking points they can. There's some guys in the bubble, like the aforementioned Ricky Fowler, who, you know, right now is, as we're recording, this is not in a great position. He's number 49 in the world. So it's kind of weird. I don't believe based on anything that if Ricky falls out of the top 50, um, that he is into the masters. I I can't think of anything and, and trying to review off the top of my head. His performances at the major championships the year this year, if you top four, for example, at the U.S. Open, that gets you into the Masters. He didn't have, you know, the performance that I'm sure that he would have wanted at TPC Harding Park at the um, at the PGA Championship. That's not going to get him in. He wasn't a factor. I believe it's the top 16 in ties. It might be top 12, but I think it's top 16 at the Masters. Get you in that that one wasn't it. So you start taking a look and that world ranking, which for him was always you know in the teens. You know, and he snuck up there a little bit more after a couple of good seasons there in the mid 2000 and teens. But Fowler needs something good here to happen in order to get himself in there. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to sort of see. Certainly a beautiful golf course. I'll look, I'll be looking forward to sort of following it. Um, you know, and we'll we'll sort of see what's going on. One of the things that I'd wanted to talk with you also about is um, as we're coming to the end of the year. Big headlines, you sort of, this is the time when we look back on a lot of different things, but aside from the obvious, the COVID layoff is is going to be the dominant narrative when we're sitting back 15, 20 years from now, looking back on this year for the weirdness that it was, that that's going to be obviously the, the dominant narrative, the biggest storylines. But what were some of the other big storylines that you know that you're going to remember looking back on 2020? I think the obvious one that's going to come to mind is going to be the, the, the debate and all that and what Bryce 
Jackson was able to do. Um, you know, sure, it didn't work out as well as people thought it might at the Masters. Uh, there are a lot of different reasons or excuses there could be for that. Um, but I think obviously that's going to be, you know, the chase for distance and the distance report and all that. That's going to be some that looking back long term, we're obviously going to talk about a lot. But hear me out on this Dark Horse one. How about the match and different kind of one-off and spin-off events like that? I think mm-hmm. the, the the most recent one was interesting to see one without Tiger. I thought it was cool to see that it would still be successful and people would still be interested in watching one without Tiger. So to see Phil kind of carry, you know, three other amateur players, I thought was pretty awesome. Um, the back and forth that they had, the way that the broadcast brought in, you know, all the guys just to heckle Chuck, I thought was interesting. Uh, I would expect to see more stuff like that. But I really think we're going to see a lot more of these kind of one-off and spinoff events. We saw it with TaylorMade driving relief you know, outside of just these, the match spinoffs too. So I think we're going to see a lot more of these going forward. And as a, as a golf fan who likes to see new things tried in, in the golf Avenue, that's not just four rounds of stroke play. I think it's awesome. And I'm really excited to see kind of where this franchise goes from here on out. So starting off at the top there with the distance debate, do you yeah. think that the distance plays too big a part in professional golf right now? I mean, Yes, I. this is a tough one for me because I think, yes and no, because I think that while, I don't, I'm not sure if it's a problem right now, but it's going to be, you know, long term. Uh, is it cool to see Bryson just haul off and whack at it the way he is and see him just bomb the ball? Yeah, it's awesome sometimes just to watch him just annihilate golf courses and bomb it. But it does take, take some of the skill out of it, and it is kind of cool to see guys plot their way around courses and play you know, have to play to work the ball, you know, left to right. You have to, you know, maybe dial back and not hit driver off the tee every once in a while. It, it's fun to see that kind of golf, too. So as a, as a fan who likes to see different aspects of it, I'm not exactly sure if I think that the distance debate is a huge problem right now. But I think, you know, reading the report and obviously all the reporting that you've done on it and talking to you about the issue, um, it, it, it's going to be a problem at some point in the near future if something isn't done soon. So, I'm not sure I have the answers for it, but I also don't want to be hypocritical and say, yeah, it's a problem when, you know, I'm also cheering for Bryson to hit the ball 425 yards, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of people sort of fall into that camp. I mean, it's it's something that, that as the person who writes a lot about equipment and technology, I've, I've been following this for a while, and a lot of the same mm-hmm. debates and a lot of the same um, points keep have been br- brought up for well over a decade. I mean, this is a lot of the stuff is not new. And yeah. what I find interesting is that um, many of the things that I think are attributable to some of the distance stuff, if we're going to get really specific about Bryson, um, yeah. his physical transformation, I think, is as much a part of how he was able to gain 20 yards in distance year over year than an, an equipment you know, or technology changes. I don't think the technology in his bag changed so radically um, over the course of the last 12 to 18 months that you can say that technology got him that 20 yards. We've seen a physical transformation in that regard. And the USGA and the RNA have made it pretty clear that they are not going to be in the business of regulating technique or physical fitness or training or, or the, the sort of non hard goods, if you will, aspect of distance driver head sizes and lengths and all those kind of things, the spring like effect of the fade, like that falls under their parameter. If guys get so much more physically fit and so much more efficient with the way that they swing and hit the ball and optimize everything with launch monitors and better coaching, all those things that we've been talking about, there isn't a whole lot 
I don't think, that the USGA can do to rein in distance, and they've said they think it's a problem, to rein in distance without really adversely affecting um, play at the recreational level, you know, like the, the, the stuff that you and I play. And I really don't sure. think that's what the USGA and the RNA are going to be about. Um, our colleague Eamon Lynch has a column that's up today uh, on golfweek.com where he had an exclusive interview with Rory McIlroy. And Rory is a former world number one and multiple major champion is basically says, look, look, the, the golf that I play and the golf that you play are, are totally different things. And certainly the golf that Eamon Lynch plays is, is obviously very different from anything that resembles <laughs> golf on a, on a good level. We, we, we've established that. Um, he would agree with that. And the, the point is that, that Rory is, is in favor of bifurcation, which is yeah. the creation of two different standards of, that would govern play for the most elite levels, essentially. Um, we're probably talking there about USAM, US Open, PGA Tour, LPGA Tour, I would assume would sort of fall into this, the European Tour, etc. And then yeah. everything below that exactly where college golf would fall in i'm not a hundred percent sure i think that they would probably emulate at least at the division one level um yeah what the professional tours would do because there'd be a lot of back and forth on that one but the stuff that you and i would do would be governed by a different set of rules because i don't think that from a performance standpoint anybody is really in the camp that distance plays too big of a role at the recreational level now there's some stuff on the, from an environmental standpoint that the USGA and the RNA have brought out, that courses have gotten bigger and that yep. water, fertilizer, maintenance costs are going to continue to to be more and more expensive and that's bad for the game. And, and nobody would disagree that, you know, hey, we want more chemicals. We want to spend more money on water. We want golf to have a bigger yeah. environmental footprint. So that's an easy one to get behind. Um, but it's it's tricky, you know, at this point. And I think that in, indirectly, you know, about... A, when, when the, the the most recent distance report came out, it was and, and the decision was handed out from the USGA and the RNA before the COVID nineteen pandemic really took hold. It was said that we, they were basically going to take the games governing bodies were going to take this year to do a series of reports to look at what different things they might be able to do, and see basically like what levers they could pull and push to to get the outcome that they're looking for. Well, along comes COVID, and yep. those things got put very understandably by the wayside. I think that we're a good six to nine months behind on where the, the findings from those studies would be. I don't think much happens, um, say, in the next six months, you know, going towards, say, April and the Masters that we're going to have um, as far as announcements of anything new. And we're many years away from if any equipment changes in the line. There are all these different procedural and protocol things that have to happen. So if you're listening to this, folks, and you're thinking like, may, wow, maybe they are because, you know, going to ratchet back the equipment. So that's not going to happen for many years, even at the fastest pace. So let's just get yeah. that going. But do you, do you at your level, I mean, would you agree that because you play, what, what's your handicap right now? You play off like one or two. You're a really good stick. Me? Yeah. No, 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 no. No, 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 my friend. No, I'm a, I am the. I am an average amateur. I'm a slightly above average amateur player. Um, I, I, my, I got my handicap six uh, Okay, so six. Okay, so so me and my twelve are yeah. just going to sit there and admire your six handicap. But at any rate, um, <laughs> is 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 distance something that at your courses are you hitting a lot of pitching wedges into par fives or or that kind of stuff? I no, would imagine I'm, no, I'm, but no. So I don't. I'm not very long off 
speak. Um, if I'm, I, if anything, I'm, I'm more of the just knock it on in two and two putt your way around. Um, I'm not, not, not the flashiest golf game that I have. Uh, it's, that's definitely one way to put it. Um, but just <clears throat> as someone who, and that's one thing from the, going back to what you said about the, um, the environment, um, the environmental impact of it all. I grew up working at a golf course, uh, shout out Ridgetop Golf Course in Medina, Ohio. Um, so I, I know how a lot of these local courses are just being bombed by these guys now. And I've seen my friends who a lot of the guys are hitting, you know, little sand, you know, little sand wedges and pigeon wedges in the greens where, you know, I'm still holding a seven or an eight iron just because they're now much longer off their feet because they know how to maximize the distance and they've got the ball, they've got their club tuned up all the way for it. So I'm seeing my friends who are amateurs like me being able to take advantage of courses like this too. And it's crazy to see because it's like Rory says it, we're all playing two completely different games. So I think that, I mean, I, I'm not seeing it as much as obviously the guys on the PGA tour are, but I mean, I've got friends who are hitting the ball incredibly long and it's mm-hmm. kind of taken a little bit out of the fun of the game for them. Uh, to be honest, you know, a lot of the times they're dialing back because they're not getting to hit all the clubs in their bag. And I had one friend, we were playing a couple of weeks ago and he goes, I'm just tired of hitting pitching wedges. So he was hitting his three wood just so he could hit another club going into some of these screens. Like when that's happening at the amateur level, that's crazy, right? Like that, it's, that shouldn't be happening with guys like me who are just out there playing a couple of times a week. I guess the only thing that I would sort of say to that is, yeah, I, I, I get that is that uh, are we playing from the appropriate tees and does the golf course have appropriate tees? Because that's, that's yeah. a pretty unusual problem. I think that, you know, if, if somebody who is at the recreational level is playing, you know, not off scratch and is not, you know, a 22 year old fresh out of college, you know, banging around player, but somebody who's in his mid to late twenties, who's I'm going to assume has got some speed. If that's going to be the case, then there should be say at least three sets of tees, you know, a forward, a a middle, and then a back set of tees. And if the person has got nothing but pitching wedges and getting tired of it, then I'm like, I, my, my first thing is like, are we playing from the appropriate tees? If that's the case, then that's a pretty interesting thing, and I think it's a little bit more of a rarity than than the rule. Um, but I, I guess you know it's it's something that I'll be very curious to see. I think what probably happens, um, Adam, more than an equipment change or you know certainly the rollback of the ball, which I don't think is happening anytime soon, or, or many other things. I think there could be agronomy recommendations and, and adjustments that the USGA will ask to be made that could help to reduce the effect of a lot of technology and to rein back in distance. And what I mean by that is this. On, for example, the PGA Tour, we've, we've seen this at, at U.S. Opens, where you've got um, the concept of graduated rough. That means basically that if you, if you miss the fairway by three or four feet, the rough doesn't go from fairway to a collar that's like you know three feet wide to six-inch rough. The penalty basically fits the crime, and and the 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 rough that's just a couple of yards off of the fairway is maybe like you know say two or three inches, and it gradually gets deeper with the bigger you miss, and that to a lot of yeah. people is something that they can really buy into. One of the things that the four caddy told me um, when I had a chance to talk with the four caddy at Wingfoot <laughs> is that many different people in the USGA are, are kicking around the idea in their virtual water cooler about graduated rough, not just from a width standpoint, but also from a length standpoint. Meaning if you miss the fairway at 285 or 290 yards, that the rough there is shorter than the rough with an equal miss at 310 or 320. 
So if you're going to be a Bryson DeChambeau, you're going to be a Tony Finau, Rory McIlroy, uh, Dustin Johnson, etc., and you're going to really let it go, then if you miss at 320, yeah, maybe you blow it past the fairway bunker. But the rough immediately past that fairway bunker, if you do miss and but fly it, is going to be more nasty than the stuff that the guy 30 yards behind you would face with an equally wayward miss. What yeah. I, To me, it's a very interesting process, and it's something that could be put into, I would assume, relatively easily um, at almost any golf course. Probably didn't cost anything or m- marginally cost things. I don't know if you need specific equipment for that. I'm guessing not, but um, I think that we're going to see more agronomy changes um, than, than we might equipment changes, at least it, in the interim. You brought up the match. Um, I was thoroughly entertained by the match and i think that uh yeah would you agree that at the first one that we saw between phil michelson and tiger was there was sort of the the rivalry of it was was sort of brought out we wanted to see phil and tiger because we never saw enough of phil and tiger when they were both sort of at the height of their powers but what i think we've established and i want to hear your thought about this is that phil mickelson is better than tiger woods in this format and in this arena would you agree that mickelson is pretty much the Tiger Woods of matches at this point? I mean, uh, I think as far as the entertainment value, absolutely. But look at how good uh, Tiger played in the last match. Uh, I mean, I'm not willing to say that, you know, Phil's got him, you know, Phil's completely better than him in these situations. Obviously he got him in the first round of the match. Um, and I, yeah, you know, what was it 10 years too late? Sure. But it doesn't matter. We still got to see it. And I still had fun writing about it and watching it. If, if, if nobody else did, I don't care. It was entertaining to me. Um, but Phil in these sort of match things, like, I think this is just what he should do from here on out. Stop trying to compete on the PGA Tour. Stop just wearing your shades and trying to show your coffee off to everybody. We get it. All right. This is what Phil needs to do. If he's not going to be in the booth, just do these matches. Just give him an open mic to just rip on whoever he wants, whether it's on the tour broadcast or on these match broadcasts while he's playing and beating people and taking their money. Phil is so entertaining in these. Like this is what we love about Phil, and especially with when he was playing with Chuck and you know the situations that Chuck put him in. We get to see Phil, the shot artist really come out and the, what you know Phil is, is really known for. Like, oh, what's he going to do with this shot? You know, Phil's always done some crazy things. What can you do from here? So I think that's what also made it interesting was the fact that Phil was kind of out of his comfort zone in a lot of places on the course too, and we got to see some great moments from him. But he he's made for events like this, so I hope we see a lot more from going forward, and I, I'd be shocked if we did. I've only spoken with Phil a few times, but the reputation that he has, and I'm sure that you've heard it, is that he enjoys being the smartest person in the room. And when you get Absolutely. him on a, on a golf course, um, he is going to be the smartest person in that grouping. He it's, it's his orchestra to lead. Now, there's not a lot of that going on, uh, although there was some, um, and the ribbing and, and the banter was really good after he and Barkley got up um, against Steph Curry and Peyton Manning. We, we heard a couple yeah. of those kind of barbs sort of going back and forth. But, yeah, the, if you think back to the, the match two, which happened this spring right before the COVID break ended, and he's out there spring. with Tom, the, yeah, with, with Tom Brady. <laughs> did, I, did I say something? I knew it was this year. It was right before COVID, but the, the COVID break finished and we yeah. got back to the surface. The most memorable part to me was hearing Justin Thomas as a commentator not say yes. anything, and Mickelson give that chipping lesson. Now, he's put out a series of DVDs about his philosophy on short game, which is really, really good. 
It's excellent. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, um, I would recommend getting it. Uh, if you want to go check it out on YouTube, you can see clips of it. It's really informative and really good. And you can see, you know, so, and hear sort of the thought process in the hows and the whys. And to hear him go through that was amazing. When he gets to mic up and sort of be one of the fellas, but know that he's the smartest guy out there and the most in control, and he's able to strategize and figure out a way where, and it was, it was the, the only way that they were going to win this is that they had to have Charles Barkley find a way to hit the fairway, you know, and if that meant hitting six irons and seven irons all day and having Mickelson then hit their approach shots, that was clearly the way that they needed to play this in order to compete and, and obviously to, to win. Mickelson is perfect for this stuff, and I don't think mm-hmm. that he's going to be go, going away, but I think that there is an, a part of what he feels at the match. Would you also agree he probably feels on the Champions Tour? Because he at, at a young fifty, and when you when you show up on the Champions Tour as a fifty or fifty one year old, you know that's when you are, are probably most likely to dominate. I mean, Bernhard Langer, sort of aside, um, yeah, he probably goes out there with the mindset that look, I got to beat Furyk this week at the Champions Tour event, and after that, like I'm just better than everybody. You know, if, yeah. if you look at like where am I in my career, like I should smoke these guys, and he does. When he goes out at the match, he's feeling the same way. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I I I don't think he's going to hang it up from the PGA tour standpoint anytime soon, but no. I agree. Like he, he has clearly established himself. Hasn't he, that he should be the guy that this sort of revolves around. Well, yeah. And I, I do, I think he's going to hang it up on the PGA tour champions. No, like what would I like to him? Yeah, it was a bit of a joke, but, uh, but he, I, I think he does have a very distinct advantage in these events that he doesn't have anymore. Or I'm not sure if, if what advantage he might've had even in the past in a, four round of stroke play golf like he doesn't have an advantage in that anymore sure he's he, he can say he can hit bombs but if he can't control them it doesn't help mm-hmm. so if he's spraying his ball all over the yard in a pga tour event it's not going to work on the champion store fairways are a little bit wider um he can hit it way farther than all of these guys and he's just in better form than a lot of the guys so i think he's going to clean up on the champion store he's going to keep doing these these sort of match and one-off events i'd like to see him in the booth more if for some PJ Tour event, if he's taking a weekend off or something, put him on the course, see what he can do. But it's Phil has had a fantastic career as a professional golfer, but I think what he's going to do in his kind of post PJ Tour career is what a lot mm-hmm. of people are really going to know and remember him for. And I, I might, I, I think it's going to be cool to see here in about ten or fifteen years, are people going to remember Phil? more for his his kind of antics now or for the player that he was in the late 90s or 2000s it will be interesting you know as someone who's already in the hall of fame obviously he's got nothing to prove but as we look ahead exactly. to 2021 um there are some players who do have some things to prove and some things to go out there and certainly on different notes um we've talked a little bit about ricky fowler um let me throw out john rom for a second how much do you sort of think that at this point 2021 needs to be the year for John Rahm. I mean, he accomplished a lot of stuff in 2020, but he still doesn't have a major championship. Um, I think it's a big year for him, don't you? I think it's a huge year for him. And I've always been someone who says, like, yeah, he's a fan. He has immense golfing talent, ability. No matter how you want to say it, the dude can hit the golf ball. He can work his way around a course when he's playing well. But it's when things start to go bad, he still doesn't have that temperament. Sure, he's won some big events. I mean, he was the you know had an incredible you know European uh, year year on the European tour. But just to, he has to be able to have that mentality to last for four rounds. And I think that 
if, if a time was ever going to be to do it, it's when there's going to be no fans at events. And depending on not to make this, you know, uh, COVID or pandemic talk, but mm-hmm. if we get a vaccine and fans can start coming out to events, I don't like John Rahman at events where fans in America might be able to get on him because now he does have this track record of when things go wrong, he starts to, you know, his emotions get the best of him um, and things mm-hmm. go south really quick for John. And, which, and, it, and it's tough to see because he is a fantastic player. And from everything that we've seen off the course, he seems like an awesome guy, too. I've gotten a chance to talk to him a couple of different times at events. He seems like a great guy, but he's just got to be able to figure it out at a major. And I don't think that you need a major to justify whether you're a great golfer or whether you're not. But in the media, that's what you have to have. And it's what people like us are going to have to talk about. And people are going to hang that over his head until he gets one. I mean, look at Ricky. Yeah. I, I think that um, you bring up a couple of good points. You you shouldn't have to win a major championship in order to be great. But yes, no. I think the media points that out. I think a player like him, though, like Rom, who has been a number one in the world player, who's you know played on some Ryder Cup and is going to be a Ryder Cup, I think, stud for probably the next two decades. I mean, he's, he's going nowhere. Right. And I think he holds himself to a standard. If he doesn't have a major championship to his credit in say the next two or three years, I think he's going to start to feel a really big itch. If he doesn't feel it already that he needs to get this thing done in some ways, it's really fortunate that a number of players sort of come out of nowhere proverbially and, and win their major Colin Morikawa is never going to have to deal with this. Jeff Ogilvie yeah. never had to deal with this. Um, Sergio Garcia had to deal with it for a long time. Lee Westwood is still dealing with it, even though he's playing really nice golf here at the end of 2020 and has is, and is really you know, made a, a, a very impressive comeback in, into form. Um, it's really hard. Jordan Spieth, another guy who's struggling with, with different stuff, does not have to deal with this. Um, but I think getting back to Rom, I think that it's something where he needs – to get this sort of done so that it doesn't become a thing. Right now, I don't think John Rahm's lack of a major championship is a thing because Dustin Johnson was so clearly the dominant player from, say, late July um, you know, or even June. I mean, he wins in June here at the Travelers Championship, um, goes through, blitzes everything at the FedEx <laughs> Cup, wins the Tour Championship, wins the Masters, it's really easy to sort of say like, okay, well, this guy is at the height of his power. He's the world number one. He's winning everything. There's only four ma- majors on a typical year. This year we only had three. Rom will be a huge hero. Lots of support when we go to Royal St. George next year. They're going to love him over there. The Europeans can't wait to cheer for him to see hopefully you know a- another Spaniard win a British Open. Um, yeah, but. It, it needs to go away so it doesn't become a thing because I think that it festered a long time for Sergio Garcia. Um, the crowds here, and I was at a number of different places, not just uh, Beth Page in 2002, you know, with the heckling. A lot of European players get that for a long time. Um, Westwood, do. I don't think, really got it too bad. Ian Poulter gets it every week um, for, for probably very different reasons. But <laughs> um, what what do you think about Jordan Spieth. I've talked with Peter Costas on this podcast before. I've Uh, talked with our colleague and good buddy uh, Adam Shupak about Jordan. Um, I still am not ready to sell my Jordan Spieth stock, but I might have to make a few shorts. You know, it's one of those things where like, why are you buying more? more? Expound upon that. I 
Because right now, this week, he's number seventy. He's no, he's number seventy-seven in the I world. I, I know. I see all the numbers, and I and I, not even just the numbers, but I see it on the course. I can't. I can't get away from it. I can't. I can't see the guy that's out there now, and 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 not see the guy who was on pace to win the next twenty Masters in a row. Like I, I can't unsee that, and I can't. I can't wrap my head around what happened and what's gone wrong. I just. I, I can't figure it out. The kid is too. I say the kid. The guy is too good. He is too strong of a player. I've I've seen him accomplish so much in this game at such a young age that I just, I just can't believe that this is where we're at. Like, like what is going on? Like, like make it help me understand what we're seeing with Jordan because I can't figure it out. Well, if if you listen to Costas, who was on this podcast about a month and a half ago, in his opinion, Jordan started chasing distance, and in doing that his swing has sort of gotten out of sync and he's not doing what Jordan did to get to number one in the world, to win multiple major championships and basically um, get to Jordan Spieth's game should be about, in my opinion, and I've heard other people say this before, and I think it's the right call. Jordan Spieth's game should be all designed to get him onto the green as quickly as possible to get him to his best club, which is his putter. Jordan is still a wonderful, a wonderful putter. So if, if that's the thing, then yes, getting more distance would always be great. I mean, that would be certainly helpful. And that's certainly the, the trend in the way that the tour is going right now. But Jordan Spieth, who has increased some distance, was way underappreciated as for, for the level of iron player that he was. He was one of the best, and in one year, the best player when it comes to strokes gained approach. That is the most critical statistic on the PGA Tour. I've talked to a bunch of different people about this. If there is one stat that you want to dominate from, aside from the money list, <laughs> it's strokes gained approach. <laughs> because if you're really good at strokes gained approach, you're giving yourself more and more opportunities to score. And that's what it's all about. And we know that Jordan can putt. You know, I have no qualms about that. But if you are getting yourself into bad situations off the tee, if your iron game gets into a rut and you start to struggle with that, then he's not getting himself to his putter efficiently. He is now hitting those same putts to save pars. He also has an unfortunate tendency to throw a really big number into what would have been otherwise a very good round. There's a lot of times when you see Jordan throw up out of nowhere a double or a triple, turning what could have been, say, a 67 or 68 into a 71 or a 72. And on the PGA Tour, that doesn't do it. It's just not good enough. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm well, not a swing coach. I can't come out there. I'm sorry, go ahead. What are we going to say? No, and like the most frustrating part about that, like you said, is like he'll go on those runs where it's like he'll birdie four or five or, you know, he'll birdie, you know, his opening three. And it's like, oh, Jordan's getting off to a start. And then comes the seven, you know? And then it's just, and it just, it just derails any sort of, any sort of momentum, any sort of, you know, good mojo he had going his way. It just yeah. all just gets torpedoed in one hole. And it's it's so frustrating to see every time. But you know what's going to happen. So, and I get my uh, hopes up every time still. <laughs> so he is one of the players um, that fans came back and just adored. I mean, I think everybody, short of his opponents, and even some of those guys, are, are rooting and hoping that he comes back. Are you getting used to not seeing and hearing fans at golf events? I am. Yeah. And if anything, I kind of like it a little bit more, to be honest. Like, obviously, that's, <laughs> too. that's, you know, that's not, that's not me saying that I don't want fans at events. I obviously want fans to be able to be there. 
partly because I want to be able to go and cover these events. That's one of my favorite parts about these jobs is being able to go out and see this golf, you know, firsthand and talk to the players and not just have to do all these writing off transcripts or doing all these phone interviews all the time. But it's, it's really cool to be able to hear the player and caddy conversations either, you know, on the tee or as they're walking down the fairway or, or if they're standing around, around their ball and they're up and they're talking through the numbers. Like, I love that because that's like going back to what we said with, with Eamon and Rory, that that's golf that I don't play. I'll pull out my range finder. I'll see, all right, it's about, you know, 147. I've got my stock 150 club, hit it as close as we can, see if we can two putt, get in for par, move our way around. The, the, mm-hmm. Hearing them talk it down to the precise number and knowing that they can hit it to that window is it. It, it never gets lost on me. I've been covering this sport for, for two years now. I've been playing for a long time. I've been around the game for a very long time. And that, that never gets lost on me, the art that, that, that these guys have and the way that they're able to play. So I, I love that aspect of it. But, I mean, for, 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 for some of the big shots and the big moments that we've had to not have fans, you know, I would have loved to have seen, you know, all the patrons out at Augusta to see DJ win. You know, you saw how much it meant to DJ in that moment. Um, I, I can't imagine what we would have seen with fans chanting DJ, DJ, DJ. That would have been awesome to see. Um, so while we're missing out in a lot of the, 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 the fanfare of it and losing stuff in the moment, what we're able to see as fans as far as getting a, a kind of behind the scenes peek at, at what the players and caddies actually go through, I think is really cool. And we don't get the get in the hole or the Baba Booey guy off the tee, which is always fun. Which is which is definitely a big plus. Yeah, it's um yeah for very selfish reasons. I I've gotten used to it. I like you. Like I'm I can't wait until fans and patrons get to to come back and we get to hear roars. We it's it was such a very very different Masters this year without hearing the roars and the cheers um like, going through without getting that stuff going. It um, could you imagine Tiger like, like like sorry sorry to cut you off but like when Tiger went on his run, like could you imagine what that place would have sounded like? It um. So I was I was obviously at the 2019 Masters and I was following yep. Tiger and that was what I was what I wrote about for USA Today. Rub it in. Um, Rub it off in. That, so off that off that Sunday, and um, I wheeled off of Tiger's group um, after I saw that he was on the green on 15 because I wanted to be on 18 in the same area code if he was going to turn out to win. I'm like, okay, there's one shot left now that he's on the green on 15 it's the tee shot on 16 tiger knows to throw it up on the slope let it feed down it's he's not going to be misclubbed he's if he's going to go and make a mistake he's going to go long and he just has to stay out of the water there that's the last real danger shot if he gets through there he's got two more really three more good swings and he's got it so i wheeled off of that group and i started walking up the hill towards the clubhouse and you know whatever goes on 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 15 i'm like okay and so i'm up on the top of um the clubhouse right around 18 green when i'm when i could hear a roar that uh, adam was was by far the loudest that i'd ever heard i've i've been to a bunch of masters now going back to my first one was 2005 um and you knew like that's tiger and that's from 16 over in that direction. And that means that he's close. And you you can tell that. Like you can sort of sit there and do the math. And the other players hear that and can sort of think about exactly what's going on because there's no electronic scoreboards. It's all the the manual scorecards and all, all that kind of stuff that, that everybody knows about. And um, 
to have the the events happen this year. You know, and DJ sucked a little bit of the drama out of it because he played so darn well coming down the stretch. Yeah. Things got a little tight uh, on Sunday there it for did. a while. The lead the lead shrunk down, but to to have had the involvement of the patrons at, at Augusta would have made the experience, which is already great, much, much richer. It would have been a much better experience overall. Um, the U.S. Open, I was there at Wingfoot this year. It was Eamon and I there. And to not have fans, there were a couple of houses that set up bleachers. There was one behind three. There was somebody beside um, 1011 over there. And, and, and I think maybe there was one one other one uh, down on five, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a totally different deal. It's a totally different experience. Um, I don't think it was any coincidence, as well as he played, that Colin Morikawa wins his first major when there are no fans. I think it helped Bryson. I don't think it was the only factor that helped. I think it helped yeah. Bryson that there were no Absolutely. fans at Wingfoot. I don't think that that's a coincidence. So I'm ready to have the excitement and the energy that the fans bring. Um, I think a couple guys took advantage of it, which good on them. Somebody had to win. Um, but yeah, I've sort of gotten used to the fact, unfortunately, that, that we don't have fans and we just got the announcement there's not going to be fans at Torrey Pines this year for yeah. uh, the Farmers Insurance Open. We don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. I know that the USGA is still making, they're basically planning three or four different versions of the U.S. Open with fans, yeah. full attendance, you know, if the vaccine takes off and with limited number of fans, with no fans, moving like everything is still on the table at this point as it should be. But uh, hopefully we get some fans there. What's the best golf course you played in 2020? Because you played more than I did, you creep. Yeah, so I I I, I got a decent amount of rounds in here in DC. Um, you know, when 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 things were closed down for a while, you know, DC and Maryland courses were closed, so I had to drive out to drive out to Virginia uh, with a mask and gloves on and everything. Um, to play some golf, but I played this one club down in Fredericksburg, Virginia, Gauntlet Golf Club. Um, it's open to the public. It was about an hour and a half drive for me to go play golf. It's a you know PB Die Championship course down there in Fredericksburg, par 72, 6,900 yards. It's it's tight, but it also has some very you know gettable holes too. So it's a it's a very good challenge, a very good test of golf. Shout out Gauntlet Golf Club down in Fredericksburg, Virginia. But I also want to give one more shout out to, and it's the favorite, okay. my favorite story that I wrote this year. Uh, I, I stumbled across it on Twitter. This guy by the name of Jason Hooper up in Canada created this little course called the Hoop Loop. And it was next to his apartment complex in Canada. It was during the lockdown. His family didn't really have much to do. They couldn't really do anything. His kids were bored. So he took them out and they built three holes. Uh, the first hole is par four is uh, 40 to 48 yards. The second hole is 37. The third is 50. And it's in this little field next to their apartment complex. And he made this little <laughs> three-hole loop. And his kids went out to play it all the time. It's, it's, it's one of the favorite stories I've ever gotten to write and tell about awesome. you know what people were able to do during the pandemic and still play. So shout out to Hoop Loop. Shout out Jason Hooper in Canada, all our friends up there. Um, and then also the D.C. courses. Uh, I, I, I love the D.C. local courses here. Sure, they're not in the best uh conditions <laughs> right now but they're going to be when the national golf trust comes in starts cleaning up the place a little bit i'm very excited to see what happens but shout out to all the the, the people who work and volunteer at the dc local muni courses for staying open for us um 
There's a, a group of us that play at a lot of the places over at East Potomac, over here in Northeast and my neck of the woods in D.C. at the Langston uh, Golf Course where I play usually about once a week. Uh, shout out to all of those people for staying open during the pandemic and keeping me somewhat sane uh, during these uh, these crazy times. Sadly, one of the um, my favorite places to play up here in Connecticut at Yale was and is been has been closed down since the pandemic started. Yale being oh. by Yale University, um, really let it go, and it's perennially, you know, as in our rankings, the number one golf course owned by a yeah. college and university. It's the number one college course with very very good reason. It is unbelievably good, and to think that that golf course went weeks slash months without maintenance, without staff, they've had turnover at the general manager. Um, position they've had, you know, a number of people that have gone that they're rehiring it. Um, you know, it's now December first. We're out of season up here, um, but there's work to be done, and I'm really, really hoping that they're able to bring on basically um, enough people, get the work that they need to get done done, uh, and bring that golf course back to where they want it to be. Uh, as if there wasn't enough motivation, you know, to get yourself into a great college like Yale, Yale students, um, the goal is are going to play that golf course for free. So, I mean, you, you're, if you got into Yale, you probably got a pretty good work ethic. So you're not going to be taking advantage of that too, too much, but my gosh, to be able to, to play something like that for free as a college student, uh, you'll never have it as good again. It's, it's a great track. Um, I also had a chance to play this year. I'm sorry. What are you going to say? Go ahead. No, I was going to say, after uh, after I saw that story on our website, uh, I may have looked into some of the graduate programs to see if they had anything in communications or journalism that might have been open to us. It's, uh, it's a good school. I'm not sure. I'm not saying that you're not going to get in, but it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, it, it's amazing. It's absolutely fantastic. And there's some very quietly some fun courses along the shoreline right around the Connecticut-Rhode Island border. There's there's some really fun little tracks down over there. Um Shelter Harbor, if you kind of know somebody, which is very private, is is one of my favorites. I played that once this year, and that was a real treat. Um, I played up at TPC River Highlands several times this year, and really, while that is, yeah, you know what, that's not one that is going to be on anybody's bucket list, and I get it. But that tournament is always really exciting because the pros just rip it apart and shoot go. It is for a recreational player one of the most fun golf courses you can imagine. Number one, like. TPC courses sometimes get a knock, you know, and aside from TPC, the stadium course at, at, at Sawgrass, I can't think of anybody who's got like a bucket list TPC course. Like nobody's thirsting to play TPC Southwind, Deer Run, or TPC Summerlin, Deer Run, any of these. Are like, it's, no, it's like, it's just not, you know, on anybody's play. TPC River Highlands in Cromwell, Connecticut is riotously fun to play. Um, every time I come off that golf course, I'm never bored. I can't wait to play it again. And that's one of my big judgments is that does it have Pacific views like Pebble Beach or Spyglass Hill? No, of course not. Um, are there a lot of houses along it on many sections? Yes. You know what? It is filled with way too many condos and that kind of stuff. You see it on the TV broadcast. Absolutely. Is it really fun to play? Do you hit every club in your bag? Is there a variety of risk reward? You bet. Um, water coming into play on a great little section 15 16 17 amazing absolutely amazing so um if you're handing out shout outs for your people i will do the same for tpc river highlands in cromwell connecticut which to me is um underappreciated i get it you're not going to come up from the washington dc area to play that golf course should you ever have the opportunity do not pass it by it's really really good 
It really is. So it's, for recreational it's, players, it's awesome. It's funny you say that because when I said the really like that, it, it, I wasn't judging you at all. I was more shocked because, you know, while we're still doing shout outs, shout out the PGA Tour 2K21 video game that's also allowing <laughs> me to play these courses. It's one of my favorite ones that I've gotten to see because it looks like it's an awesome course to play on the video game. So that's one of the it ones is. that I've loved to see or like I would love to actually get out there in person. Um, but I, I probably won't be driving up like I did uh, this week. Like uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure I want any part of that drive ever again. Well, come on, suck it up, Buttercup. Head up to New Haven, bang a left, shoot up. Maybe, a, maybe a about flight. forty-five minutes, and you're there. Maybe we'll a see flight when we get in. a vaccine. How about that? There you go. When we get the vaccine, you come on up. I'll provide the barbecue and the tea time. We'll we'll, we'll get it done, and then you can hook us up with a, a little tea time over at Congressional or or Aronimink, and we'll be we'll be good to go. Listen. Have a very safe holiday season. Adam, I really appreciate appreciate you coming on the Forward Press. Be well, and I'll talk to you again soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.